Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. I had the opportunity to meet several of you this morning, but those of you that are first-timers or you are new to MCC and you've been checking things out the last few weeks, welcome. Welcome to all of you. We are so excited about next weekend, but we celebrate Easter here every weekend and the great and the great grace that God has shown to us. But do me a favor, those of you that are joining us online and those of you here in the room, take out that Get Connected card. We call it the Connect card, and it's your opportunity to share a little bit about what's going on in your life things that we can partner with you in prayer. There's opportunities on the back for you to be involved in certain things like Life After 50 tonight at 5.30. We're having a fish fry. And so if you're 40 or older, I'd love to have you. We're trying to get the average age down to, you know, 75. So no, but there's several of us in our 40s, right, that are hanging out together in Life After 50. So so come out and be, so come out. Bill just woke up over there. He's one of our... One of our charter members from 30 years ago when he was 50, but, uh, but please do that. Those of you that are online, send me a message. Uh, do something out there to let us know that you're watching because it's very important whether you're here or there for us to be connected as believers in Jesus Christ. Join me in welcoming Bethany Petersham who placed her membership here last Sunday. And... Uh, I want you to know that we are celebrating with you the life change that you are experiencing, that you are acting on as you surrender uh, day by day to Jesus Christ and his authority in your life. And we look forward to seeing you take your next step publicly. And those of you who are taking next steps privately in your commitment and your devotion, uh, congratulations. And we're, we're praying for you and we are with you. Well, grab your Bible this weekend, and if you have a physical Bible, that's all the better. But uh, grab a Bible and turn with me two places. The first is the Gospel of John. Towards the back of your Bible, you find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in the 11th chapter, John chapter 11. And uh, you can stick somebody's finger in there and hold that page. And then you can turn back towards the front just just about that much, and you're going to find the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, where we've been looking at these eight life-giving principles that Jesus Christ gives us. These principles, these principles that step into our lives that are there for us when we hit these breaking points in our life. Last weekend, we talked about the first breaking point is, is this, when we realize that on our own, we are powerless. And Jesus comes along in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, blessed are you, blessed are those who recognize their need for God. We were built with a need for him. But as Dan so perfectly said this morning, most of us spend our lives living outside of that relationship with God. Yes, we acknowledge that he's there, but we don't acknowledge him with the choices that we make, with the lifestyle that we choose, the place and the things that we look to for comfort and help and healing in our life. We, we live on our own and we do our own thing. And when those breaking points come in our lives where we've realized that what we've been doing 
And what we're planning to do is not getting it, right? We recognize our need for Jesus, for God, but there's something else that comes along with it, and it's the next point, the life-giving principle that Jesus gives us, and that is we mourn, we grieve. I was reminded of something that happened in 1987, a story I read a few years ago. But, but in 1987, one of the airlines leaving Detroit, Michigan, flying to Santa Ana, California, this was back before a lot of the safety checks that are required today for pilots. And, and this particular pilot had a plane load, 146 passengers, six crew members. And as they began down the runway, he realized that something was drastically wrong because they were eating up way too much runway. And just as the plane began to lift, he realized that during the pre-flight checks, he forgot to adjust the flaps one way or another to get the lift that they needed. And there was no way to recover from this. But now at over 100 miles per hour, lifted off the ground, but not enough to avoid the buildings and the trees and the billboards. A young mother who was on that plane with her husband, six-year-old son, and five-year-old daughter, Cecilia, she did what only a mother would think to do, and she unbuckled her seatbelt. She turned, and she faced her daughter, who was closest to her, wrapped her in her arms, and took the brunt of that plane crash. Only one survivor that day out of the entire crew out of all 146 passengers was five-year-old, five-year-old Cecilia. 25 years after the crash, she spoke out for the first time publicly, and she said, I look in the mirror every day, and I see the scars. I see the scars. When we have lived outside of Jesus Christ and we recognize our need for him, there are many times so many scars. The reality of how we've lived, I, I always go back to the prodigal son that we're gonna share a little bit about Easter weekend next week, but I always go back to the, the pig squeals, right? The memories of those times lived, the past, right? The choices that we make. We look at the situation we're in today, and we grieve, even though we've met the one who can change it all, there's a part of us that grieves. Just as Cecilia grieves the loss of her entire family. But more than that, she sees the scars of it and she grieves that reality. Well, this is where God leads us next in this life-giving principle in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, when Jesus said, blessed. Blessed are those who grieve. Blessed are those who mourn. And then, and then what he says next is as crazy, is as crazy as it gets because, because he says they'll be comforted. Well, what he's saying here, what he's saying here is that grief is God's pathway to comfort. God uses, God works, and God meets us where we are in our grief and in our mourning, and that grief, that mourning, is the pathway for us to connect with him, to see him, to experience him in a way that we otherwise never 
would. It's a natural progression. For those of us who have lost someone and those of us who have been lost ourselves but come to the reality of our need for him. And so with this in mind, I want you to look at John 11 where we find a man named Lazarus who has been dead and now buried in the side of a mountain in a sealed tomb. His two sisters, Mary and Martha, four days in, after the burial, still gathered together with a house full of others. You, you've seen the scene, uh, the old style funeral homes and the old houses where you had different rooms and people would come and they would gather. And I remember my grandmother taking me 10 years ago before she passed, taking me to the funeral home in my dad's absence. I went over to, to accompany her to see see someone in our family who had passed and, and we walked in and she said, pick out a seat. And I said, Grandma, I said, the funeral's tomorrow. And she said, oh no, we're staying a while, pick out a seat, right? And we sat for hours to comfort and to encourage, to recall the stories of old. And this is how it was, but this was four days after the burial. Mary and Martha were, were grieving. They were grieving hard. They had, they had people around them. They, they were grieving what could have been. They were grieving what had been. They were grieving what was ahead of them without their brother. Now, Jesus was nowhere to be found until that fourth day, now, you got to know Mary and Martha. Mary was always attentive to Jesus, always sitting at his feet, right? You remember some of those accounts? Martha, she was a busybody. She's like me, can't sit down, right? If there's something to be done while you're waiting, you better get it done now. And uh, she was constantly looking over her shoulder, right? Can you kind of get in the room there with me? She, she's always looking over her shoulder as if she's expecting someone. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in the back of the room, and no one had to ask his name because she made it very clear. But this guy comes in the back of the room accompanied by 12 other dusty, dirty guys. They traveled some distance, it looked like. But no one had to ask because she jumped up from her seat. She went to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, you're, you're here. But it goes beyond that. She said, Jesus, where have you been? Verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, you can't blame her. And perhaps you felt the same thing when you have that moment in your life of deep grief, w whether it's the loss of someone you love whether it's a situation in your life that's brought you to this breaking point and you say, where in the world are you? Where were you when I prayed this prayer, when I asked that this wouldn't happen in my life? Jesus, we sent for you, she said in verse 3 of John 11. Lord, Lord, the one you love is very sick was the message that she sent. But on this day, with one sentence, she looks Jesus in the eye and she speaks her heart. Lord, if you'd been here, if you'd come when we sent for you, my brother would not have died. But listen, in one sentence, 
She speaks her hope, verse 22. But I know that even now, even in the midst of the most horrible thing that I've experienced in my life, Jesus, even now, God will give you whatever you asked. It was a light in the darkness of grief. But I want you to understand something, that that light shone before Jesus ever said a word. You see, the very first thing that we need to understand about God is that he comes to us, he comes to us in our grief. He does what no one else is willing to do. He doesn't say a word sometimes, but he literally comes and he sits right down in the middle of it with us. He enters our world of grief, but he brings this truth that is at first unspoken. And that truth is, is that I, you, we who are grieving, we matter to him. We matter to him. And I want you to get this picture in your head over the next couple minutes here as we talk about this, as we describe this, the, the, the creator, the God of the universe. He literally came in Mary and Martha's grief and he sat down with them. He took it. He listened to their heart and to their, their what ifs and why didn't yous. You've heard me say before that I believe there are very few atheists. Uh, and and I, ch I challenge those. And, and I do this with all respect. I'm not slamming you if you are in doubt about who Jesus is. But what I'm saying to you is please be honest with yourself. And be honest with the people who love you and are attempting to present Jesus Christ to you. See, I believe that most atheists, especially right here in these United States, especially in the Bible Belt, where there's a church on every corner, they believe, they know that there is a God. The, the Bible says in Romans 1 that we are without excuse, but it's a God of their understanding. It's a God that's been presented to them in a way that has caused an obstacle for them. Some of us have been there. 90% uh, of those who are self-proclaimed atheists that I've met, if not 99%, if you dig down, if you ask why enough, you find out, oh, they, I was in church when I was a child. I was raised in a foster home with a Christian couple. And the man took me in my room one night. Or I was in an orphanage and, and they took me aside and they did these things to me. You see where I'm going? That's why they want to have nothing to do with it. And the reality is, is that they have not met, they have not known the God of the Bible. Whether someone has misled them, misguided them, whether they have misrepresented them, right? The number one commandment, number uh, three commandment, right? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't, don't attribute things to God that aren't his, right? But people have done that. And so it is so hard for us to recognize that we matter to him. 
But what matters most to us is to understand the truth of who he is. The truth of who he is, because until we understand God's character that's revealed to us in his word, we can't completely trust him in what he says. But I want to tell you that grief, when we bottom out in grief, the door is open. The door is open like any other time for us to get to know his true character. His great grace, as Paul writes, that he is the God of all comfort. There is no comfort that compares to him. And this is what we see in this interaction between Martha and Jesus. She could be transparent with him about her grief, the source of her grief, her confusion about why God didn't step in and intercede. And Jesus, his response says it all. He sits there. He sits there and listens. He allowed her to grieve, and he reminded her in his physical presence of God's presence, God's promises. And in one sentence, he responds to hers with this word of hope. He says in verse 23, Martha, your brother will rise again. How many of you have heard the awkward things that people say to us when we're grieving? I, oftentimes, one of the things that I pray the most right, right now, Greg and David Day. Greg, Greg is receiving visitors right at this hour down at Kraft. A funeral for his mother, 96 years, is tomorrow. He loved her. He has sat with her for days and weeks and months in her Alzheimer's and her disease. And one of the things that I pray for every one of you who go through that time of visitation is God, please guard their heart against the foolish things that people are going to say, right? They say such the foolish, foolish things. And, and Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And I love Martha's honest response. She's like, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection. I know he believes. I know that God will raise us from the dead on the day he returns, Right? But what about right now? That's not what she asked, but, but that's what she's saying. I know all that's going to happen eventually, but how does that help me now in my grief? And that's when Jesus, I used to think it was like in this Arnold Schwarzenegger voice, right? <laughs> I am the resurrection, right? Terminator, right? I, I fix it right now. But having been on the receiving end of this, having had God come and sit right next to me in my deepest times of grief, I think it's more of a whisper because it was very, very personal to her and to us. Verse 25, Martha, it's me. <laughs> I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I'm here now. Yes, there's coming a day. Yes, there's coming a day, and it's about to be revealed when death as you know it will end. Even though he dies, he, he lives, Jesus would say. Martha, do you believe? It was in that darkest moment of grief 
that Martha truly met the resurrection. And many of you know this from your own breaking point encounters. It's there when you see and experience the very character and heart of the one that you have read about, that you have heard spoken about, that you have sang about when he comes to you. When he comes to you. In verse 32, Mary now joins the discussion. Remember, Martha was always the first one to jump up and go. She's already got Jesus. She's already pinned him down. They've already had their conversation. Now it's Mary's turn. Mary, when she reached where Jesus was and, and she saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, same thing, if you'd been here, right? Uh, how many of us have said that? <laughs> Maybe not if you had been here, but how many of us have said that, right? God, where you been? Why? But verse 33, Jesus takes it one step further. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and he saw all who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Verse 35, Jesus wept. God wept. God sits on the pew between Martha and Mary. He enters their world of grief. He weeps for them. He weeps with them, just as he weeps with you and I, and how he weeps for us in our time of grieving. Not just the death of those that we love, but when we're saying goodbye to our past, when we recognize the mess that we've gotten ourselves into when we've left God out, he weeps. He weeps. King David, who experienced grief over and over again in his life, said of God in the Old Testament, he said, God, you've listened to my troubles and you've seen the crisis in my soul. What he's saying is that when, when nobody knows how I'm struggling to break this addiction, you, you know God. God knows. But when you think nobody knows the depression and the fear I'm going through, God knows. He, he's right there. When you think nobody knows the pain I'm going through in this marriage, the loss that I'm experiencing, he knows it all. He cares. Nothing escapes his notice. This is what David's saying here. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, he said, your father, the same God that knows, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. He is very much aware nothing has escaped him. The Lord, he is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When Jesus wept, he was telling Mary and Martha, and he's telling you and me today, God is with me. He's with me in my pain. He's with me in my pain, and he knows the depth of my distress. And he alone holds the comfort that I need, and he holds it in his very right an appropriate and strong right hand. It's why as believers we should grieve differently than the rest of the world. Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ is Lord of the living, but he's also Lord of the dead. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, that's why we don't grieve like people who have no hope. 
When we grieve, we still believe. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that those who have gone before us are with him now, and so when Jesus returns, they will be with him. According to God's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. They're okay, you're gonna be okay, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and we who are alive and are left, we will be reunited with them forever. Encourage each other with this truth. The Lord is with you now. And he will bring those with him who are with him now. I've said it a dozen times or more, but God alone has the power to heal anything that we've broken. Anything that we've broken. And you know why I believe that with all of my heart? One is I've experienced some really, really broken times. You have experienced some really, really broken times. And the reason why we can trust him with that is because he did the thing that no one else can do, and that is he broke death and the grave. Because Jesus conquered death and the grave, because he rose from the dead, we can trust him with anything. There is nothing too big. There is nothing too small. There is nothing beyond his control and reach and authority. Jesus grieves with Martha and Mary. He weeps with them. But then he does the unthinkable, right? You know, this is the part of the story we all remember. He stands outside the tomb. Inside, the casket's been sealed. Well, really, they've been wrapped in cloth and had ointments and perfumes and minerals put on them so they don't stink outside the tomb. But he stands outside that tomb where the body's already decaying. He stands outside that tomb where Lazarus' blood is as dry as dust. He stands out that, gray, out that uh, tomb where Lazarus' heart had stopped beating four, six, eight days earlier. But he stands outside that tomb and his eyes meet Martha's. <laughs> and he kind of gives the nod. What are you saying, Jesus? Move the stone? Are you crazy, she says. And he looks at her again. And I don't know what her thought was, except it must have been something like this. I trust you. If this is what you want, I trust you. <clears throat> so she looks over at the grave digger, right? And he's like, oh no, this is going to be bad. She, he moves the stone. Jesus probably walks in because the body's going to be back just a little bit into that opening. He walks in and he says with great authority in his voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, wake up. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, I'm not finished with you yet. Lazarus, come out. And what God commands next is just as important as those words when Jesus said, get those grave clothes off of him.
tell me. It's really quiet in here. Have you heard him speak your name yet this morning? (laughs) Have you heard him in your grief, in your angst? (laughs) Hey, Dave, wake up. I'm here. Take those grave clothes off. You, you don't need them anymore. That, that mourning, that grieving, I, I, I'm here. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, you know what I'm capable of. You know that I conquered death in the grave. You know that I can restore you, that, that I can even use this thing that has been allowed to happen, that you brought into your life. I can handle those choices that you've made, those things that you've said. Will you come forth? Will you come to me? See, grief is truly the pathway to God's comfort. When Jesus speaks in the face of our grief and he calls us by name, there's nothing There's nothing more assuring to me than to walk into a place. And I hope you have found that here. Maybe not the first week, maybe not the second week, but hopefully by the third week, you've had two or more people walk up to you and call you by name. Now, generally, I call you by the wrong name on that third week, but that's the last time I do. You're right, I've got to embarrass myself at least once before I can remember a name. But it's so important to us that he knows our name. Why? Because if Jesus had just said, wake up, if Jesus had just said, come forth, but not mention Lazarus' name, every tomb would have opened that day, and every dead person would have come back to life. But no, Jesus speaks personally to Lazarus, and he's speaking directly to you today. That's his voice that you're hearing right now that says it's going to be okay. I can deal with this. Can you deal with it? I can. Give it to me. Let go of this. Come back. Five-year-old, five-year-old plane crash survivor Cecilia, now 30 years old, she said during that interview that every day that she thinks about what happened to her. She thinks about what happened to her when she looks in the mirror and sees the scars on her body. Now, as someone who's, who loves to interview people, I've sat down and when I listen to you and your heart, and what's going on, I interview you, I ask you questions. Why, what, when, how? I would have loved to have had the opportunity to ask her this question. Is that all you see? Is that all you see after 25 years of the scars? Do you not see the arms of your mother who reached out that day and pulled you in close that you could survive this terrible, terrible fall? I ask you the same. When you see the scars that have been put on you, that have come through great loss, (laughs) that have come through those times in your life that have been breaking points, 
Maybe you're in the middle of one right now. Is that all you can see? Is that all you can see is the pain, the loneliness, the grief? Or can you see the one who stretched out his arms for you? Who now have the scars. And he wants your scars too. Because that's exactly what he did when he came 2,000 years ago. As he went to a cross and he stretched out his arms because he saw the crash coming. He saw the brokenness coming in your life. And he stretched his arms out so that he could put them around you and embrace you and keep you from suffering the most devastating aspect, and that is death. Because that's what sin leads to, and that's what life on this earth leads to. That he did that so that in your grief you could have hope. You could have hope that God restores those who whose body dies a, a death here on this earth, that in that moment we breathe our first life in a new body, a restored body in heaven. For those who have committed great offenses, boy, that's what it is in our minds right now, isn't it? It started out as such a little thing, but then it's, it's so great. He can restore that. Are the consequences still there? Many, many times they remain until he comes and all things are made new. But in the meantime... He carries us. He comforts us. He restores us. He even takes that and he uses it for our good. He is truly the God of all comfort and the God of all peace. The question is, is do you know him? Do you know him? Will you trust him? This grief that's been allowed to enter your life. Last night, I was so distracted as I looked out into the room and I saw so many grieving. I saw young people <laughs> grieving decisions that were made even this week that could have ended so tragically. I saw the faces of Moms and dads who are grieving for their children and their children's decisions. Grandparents who are now trying to protect their grandchildren from, from the devastation, from the things that are going on through the choices of their children. I see, even see in the, the eyes of the older generation, the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, the grief of realizing that they had lived a majority of their life. Mind you, some of them in church, but it wasn't until their grief that they truly knew the great character of God. And I could see the comfort in their eyes, and I want that so badly for you. And so today, today, today is the day that you take your grief and you know that the one who can bring you comfort is right here sitting in the middle of it 
with you. If only you'll turn to him and you'll give him your heart. You'll let him take the scars and you'll let him give you life here and certainly life eternal when you're baptized into him. Let's stand together. I'm right here to meet you. Brandon's here to meet you. David will be in here to meet you. There are those around you who will encourage you. Please, please come or signal and I'll come to you.